I'm picking up on last week's podcast episode when I said towards the end that we'd explore what I meant by appropriate meditation or proper meditation. I made the point in last week's podcast that if you have been meditating properly and regularly over the course of even eight weeks, your brain is going to be a different shape than it was before you started meditating at all. And in effect, at the risk of repeating myself, because I said this last week as well, you will have made an evolutionary quantum leap. Now, what do I mean by that? Evolution, a slow and grinding process over a period of about 1.8 million years from the perspective of neural development. Evolution gave us a brain that was fit for purpose when we were hunter-gatherers. And if you're using your mind normally, as what we described in many podcast episodes, as a normal crazy person, you are still using that brain in the way in which it was designed to operate. In other words, you make it through the day because that is the way in which the evolved brain arrived at its current state of development. During evolutionary times, in particular, when we were hunter-gatherers, our main priority our driving goal was to survive. We talk about, you know, procreation and survival of the species and all that, but you, you, you can't have sons and daughters and grandchildren if you've died whilst out hunting. Kind of obvious when you think about it. So if you're using your mind normally, you're using a piece of equipment that was slowly evolved over the course of, as I said a moment ago, 1.8 million years. And it's not fit for purpose in the 21st century because it is designed for survival. In other words, it's designed to exist. I made the distinction last week between existing and living your life to the full, and that until you turn up to the here and now, you're only existing, which is not the equivalent of living. That's why I made the distinction. Now, we turn up to the here and now by training ourselves to turn up to the here and now because it doesn't come naturally. Yes, it came naturally to us when we were two, three, and four years old. That's how, by the way, we took the psychological snapshots that made and left a lasting impression upon us that gave us our view of ourselves, our incorrect view of ourselves, because now as adults, again, if we're using our minds normally, we're using those snapshots that we took at two, three, and four years of age to make it through the day, because that's the way the brain is actually designed to operate. And therefore, we haven't moved on. Therefore, we're still living with the illusions and delusions related to how we felt when we took those psychological snapshots when we were so young and so impressionable that, first of all, these impressions were imprinted on our mind. And secondly, we didn't have the wherewithal to distinguish between what was an appropriate psychological snapshot for us to take and what were the psychological snapshots that would effectively do us damage. And unless we take steps, the kind of steps that we're talking about in this podcast in later life would do us damage for the rest of our lives. So I want to talk today about how will you take those steps in your own personal evolution. And that's not a soundbite. 
the research over the last 20 years has shown that when you meditate regularly, your brain is a different shape and it behaves in a different way to the way in which the untrained brain, the normal crazy brain operates. So it is a step forward in evolutionary terms. Indeed, it is, I would contend, a quantum leap forward because the people who have taken charge of their own state of mind and accordingly restructured their brains as a result of, an, of a phenomenon that has been widely and long known to psychology and neuroscience as neuroplasticity, in other words, the brain shapes itself and structures itself according to the manner in which the user of that piece of equipment employs it. Now, if you're going to train your brain to be focused and present and experience the here and now, that is going to have the effect of changing the very structure, not of random bits of your brain, but of some of the most important key components of the brain. Meditation engages the left prefrontal cortex, what's known in cognitive psychology as the central executive or the seat of consciousness. Now, the interesting thing is that neuroscience knows that in the normal adult brain, this seat of consciousness, the point of focus, the central executive, where we actually use this part of our brain to focus in the present moment, neuroscience knows that in the normal mind, in the normal brain, that is disabled from the age of 13 on, except in exceptional and unfortunately exceptionally bad circumstances. There's no merit in going into that at this moment in time. What we're talking about here is engaging that turning it back on again we know and we've known for the last 23 years that meditation engages this part of the brain we know and we've known for the last 15 years that meditation restructures this part of the brain we know and we've known for the last eight years that having restructured this part of the brain the key parts of what i would describe as our doing brain the subcortical brain the being brain, the seat of who you are and the seat of your subconscious mind. Those parts of the brain are restructured so they behave in a different way so that you know what's going on in the here and now that relates to the opportunities and synchronicities that we talked about last week. And you know just what you need to do in the here and now to get what you want out of the here and now. Now, consider what I've just said, because we talked last week about how simple it is to live your life to the full, to change your life, and to live your life your way. I made the point that there are really only two things that you need to do. Number one, you turn up to the here and now. And number two, you know why you've turned up to the here and now. When you meditate, and as a result of that meditation, restructure the subcortical brain, it will do what I've just said that you need to do. You'll be present, you'll know what's going on, and you'll know what you need to do to get what you want out of any situation in which you find yourself guided by the big goals that you have set in your subcortical brain for your life. In other words, as we talked about last week, new psychological snapshots. One of your choosing rather than stuff that was thrust upon you when you were young, innocent, and impressionable. So how do we go about this? Well, there is a lot of nonsense written, said, and spoken about meditation. I had a conversation a number of years ago with this uh, self-styled guru. 
I'm not going to name names because we want to protect the guilty. But this guy who, when I looked at his online presence, seemed to be the kind of lofty individual who wouldn't talk to somebody as, as lowly as me. So when I got this call from a guy in Phoenix in Arizona, I said to myself, what does this guy want to talk to me about? I mean, he's flying high as one of the leading meditation gurus, or at least so his online presence said, because obviously I went and looked at everything I could get my hands on when he contacted me so that I knew who I was talking to when we actually had our telephone conversation. This is before Zoom. This guy comes on the phone to me and he says to me, I want to talk to you about how you get business from large corporate clients. I said, why? He said, because I teach meditation, like you teach meditation, and I haven't been able to successfully win a single corporate client. Now, alarm bells went off in my head straight away. Were all the video testimonials on his site from people who weren't his clients? As I said, we're protecting the guilty here. This guy was living in a small apartment, uh, living from hand to mouth, setting or trying to set up a meditation business whereby he would work with large corporate clients, which I had been doing since 1996. Now, I've stopped doing it since for the simple reason that I much prefer to work with people who will put their hand in their own pocket to change their own lives. Now, that may sound a little bit mercenary and, you know, man doesn't live on bread alone or whatever the saying is, the labourer deserves his wages. Most of what I do, I do for free, like this podcast, but I do get paid by people who have put their hand in their own pocket rather than corporations who are often just ticking a box in getting somebody like me in to help their people with their mental health or their mindfulness or their focus. As a slight digression, there is no pleasure from my perspective in sitting down with a leadership team of, say, 12 people, when maybe eight people in the room don't want to be there. And maybe four of those eight people are actively trying to sabotage what is going on. There's no merit in that at all. I prefer to deal with ordinary everyday people so that they can transmute and transform their ordinary everyday lives into something extraordinary as a result of their taking control of their own state of mind through meditation. Now, there are obviously other bits and bobs around what I do. You, you don't just sit down, meditate, and suddenly your life is changed. Or is that true? Because the minute your brain starts restructuring itself, your life begins to change. Anyway, I digress. This guy, this self-styled guru, rang me to find out how I was getting business because he wasn't getting any business himself. And I said to him, how long have you been trying to do this? He said, oh, for the last two years, he said, I'm on the point of giving up. I said, what approach are you making? to business. He said, oh, I tell them there is a 13-step process to meditation, and you must follow these 13 steps. If you don't follow these 13 steps, it will not work for you. He said it is based on, I can't remember what version of some tradition that comes from the Himalayas, God knows how many thousand years ago, and you need to stick rigidly to it. And I said to him, that's why you're getting no business. 
I said, I get business from corporates by telling them, if you learn to focus, you'll be more successful. And there are a variety of different techniques that you can use to learn to focus, to be more successful. You don't rigidly say you have to take these 13 steps. That's nonsense, absolute nonsense. That is how meditation has been taken and made into something that it isn't by this tradition or that tradition. I'm not going to pick on, for example, transcendental meditation or vipassana meditation or the various different types of meditation. There are probably thousands of them that you will find online. I'm not going to pick on any one of them because they all have something wrong with them. And that is, you must do it our way or you're not doing it the right way. No. Meditation is about turning you on and you are unique and therefore you have to play around with various techniques to find out what exactly hits the spot for you. So I teach a whole different variety of meditations. Now the sad thing about that is that I was originally trained in Vipassana meditation. You can go and look at that if you like, V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A -S -S meditation. And now because I use a variety of different meditations, I can't go back and do an 11-day retreat with them. They won't let me because they'll ask me, is Vipassana meditation the only form of meditation that I practice? And hand on heart, I would have to say no. And they will say to me, well, you're not following our tradition. It has to be done this way or you're not doing it right. Rubbish. Rubbish. As I said a moment ago, whatever turns you on. So let me give you some guidelines in relation to what is appropriate and what is proper meditation. First of all, I would say to you, that meditation is designed, amongst other things, to bring a level of discipline to an otherwise completely undisciplined piece of equipment between your two ears. And if we're disciplining ourselves, and I know people get frightened with the word discipline, you know, they think it's hard, it's difficult. People like me who were brought up in Ireland in the 1960s had and possibly still have the impression that discipline means a good slap across some part of your body with some hard or tortuous instrument. Anyway, we won't go there, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about simply ensuring that you bring some level of coherent behavior to what's going on between your own two ears. So if we're talking about bringing a level of discipline to the mind, we need to bring a level of discipline to the body. First point, if you're going to meditate, you need to do it sitting up relatively straight. You don't need to do it sitting up so straight that you hurt yourself. You need to be comfortable. You need to have your feet firmly on the floor and you need to have your hands resting in your lap or on your legs, palms up or palms down. Now it's a complete aside here. I said this in a recorded meditation that I gave to a client a number of years ago. I said, you need to sit. Uh, and it was a particularly guided meditation. I said, you need to sit with your feet on the floor and your hands resting in your legs, palms down. And he rang me and he said, I can't do that meditation. I said, why not? He said, I was sitting there listening to you, getting into the mood and you said to me, or at least I thought you said to me, you need to sit there with your feet firmly on the floor and your hands on your legs, pants down. I said, I said, palms down, not pants. Anyway, that is a digression. 
You need to sit up straight, but comfortably up straight. You need to sit with your body open. In other words, your legs a bit open, because what we're trying to do when we meditate, no, I shouldn't have said that. What we're allowing ourselves to do when we meditate is we're allowing our energy flow freely. And the energy, and I alluded to this last week when I talked about the energy meridians in the body and the primal vascular system, our energy will flow freely through our being the less encumbered it is. So you don't cross your legs, for example. I know that our traditions will say that you need to wrap your legs around your ears. Just bear with me. This and everything that I'm saying here is based, first of all, on science, and secondly, on 28 years experience that I have with in teaching meditation to clients. I've been meditating for much longer than that myself. So you need to sit up straight. And that means that you can't do meditation lying down. I recollect a number of years ago having a conversation with a client who said to me, I meditate every morning. And I said, wow, you're the first person that I've ever met who has said that to me. I said, tell me what you do. He said, well, I wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off, and then I lie in bed and I close my eyes and I meditate for a few minutes. I said, that's dozing. You're not meditating. You need to get up and sit up straight. You need to decide what you're going to do when you have sat down to meditate as well. And what that means is that you might listen to, for example, a guided meditation. Now, I provide all my clients and online program owners with a whole suite of guided meditations. There's probably about seven or eight dozen guided meditations that they have at their disposal. Why? First of all, if you keep doing the same meditation, and I alluded to this last week, it'll become habitual. And once it becomes habitual, it'll lose its oomph. It'll turn you off rather than turn you on. Secondly, as I said a moment ago, you're unique. You need to find out what meditations turn you on, not what somebody said the tradition is. And if you don't follow the tradition, you're not going to achieve anything. You need to turn yourself on. You only need to meditate seven or eight minutes each morning. Now, I got an email from somebody a couple of weeks ago. I actually referred to this guy last week. He said, this is the guy who emailed me and said that he was living in flow most of the time every day. He put a PS in his email saying, I saw a program on BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, a couple of nights ago about meditation. And he said they made it sound so difficult. They said that you need to meditate every day for 60 minutes. Now, who is going to meditate every day for 60 minutes, apart from monks? And none of us wants to be a monk. We want to go and live our lives to the full, not just for ourselves, but those whom we love as well. If I said to my clients, and of thousands of them at this stage, if I said to my clients, you need to meditate for 60 minutes, I wouldn't have thousands of clients. I'd have a handful of clients and they'd all be living in monasteries or, or out in the field hugging trees. Now, you might say to yourself, ah, oh, hold on, that's a little bit disingenuous. But let's call a spade a spade here. You need to do what you need to do to get mentally fit. No more, no less. You need to do enough so that you become focused enough, so that you are present enough, so you put your best foot forward enough, because enough will transform your life. 
So you only need to meditate for seven or eight minutes every morning. Now, that's kind of a baseline. Once you get into this, I will always tell my clients and online program owners that they, from time to time, and that might mean once every fortnight or so, meditate for longer. That could be 20 minutes. It could be 30 minutes. I sit down with a group of advanced meditators uh, that I've been working with for the last year, um, probably on average half a dozen times a month. And we'll meditate, generally speaking, for about 25 minutes in the morning. And more often than not, at the end of the 25 minutes, one or two or three of them or all of them will say to me, oh, I could have stayed doing that for much longer. I'd really hit the zone. I was really in flow. My mind was completely and utterly clear. I was in a different place. So you might say to yourself, well, 25 minutes is an awful long time. But most people, when they meditate for that length of time, don't want to stop after 20 or 25 minutes. But you're not going to meditate for that length of time every morning because you're busy people. I'm a busy person. I meditate maybe for 15 or 20 minutes most mornings, but that's because it's what I do. If I'm traveling, I might only meditate for seven or eight minutes a morning. Or if I'm on holidays, I mightn't meditate at all. I'll come back to that in a minute because people get awful upset about how their meditation goes out the window when they're on holidays. No, I'll deal with it now. As I said in last week's podcast, right almost at the end, your meditation has to be done every morning. Not in a routine way, but it has to fit into your morning routine because if it doesn't, it won't get done. And when you're on holidays, your morning routine goes out the window. And, you know, your reaction to that should be, so what? I'll get back on the horse when I'm back in my routine. People get awfully distressed. People feel guilty about not meditating. And what does that feed? It feeds the squatter in your own head that we talked about last week. It feeds your thinking mind and your thinking mind, once it has been given legs, will run rings around you. Anyway, back to a couple of key tips. Guided meditation is the best way to start. But if you're going to do unguided meditation, you need to decide before you sit down what you're going to do. In other words, you might focus on your breathing. I'll clarify that in a moment. Or you might focus on what you're feeling in your body. You don't sit down and say to yourself, I'll focus on my breathing for a minute and then we'll see where it goes. Because you end up having a conversation with yourself or you end up having an argument with yourself. And who's talking to whom? The thinking mind has become involved again. You don't want to let the thinking mind in that crack of the door at all. So you need to decide what you're going to do before you sit down if you're going to practice a little unguided meditation. Now, I talked about breathing a minute ago, and people have all kinds of misconceptions about breathing. I was talking to a client a couple of weeks ago who is teaching a group of her own clients as to how to meditate properly. And one of the guys told her, I, I, I was on a, a, a meditation retreat in Bali for a fortnight. 
Now, by the way, meditation retreats in Bali and places like that, they're not meditation retreats. They're holidays masquerading as meditation retreats. And you're being taught a little bit, and very often you're being taught a little bit the wrong way. Because he said to my client, he said, I know this breathing technique and that breathing technique and this other breathing technique. And he, he listed a whole string of breathing techniques. And she said to herself, God, would it be great if I could get Willie to explain to him that when you use your breathing to meditate, you don't focus on your breathing. You use your breathing to focus. It's a completely different thing. In the same way, Vipassana meditation, body-focused meditation, people will tell me that they're focusing on their body. No, you're not focusing on your body. You're using what you're feeling in your body to focus. So let me repeat what I've just said, because it is so important. If you are doing a breathing meditation, you are using your breath as a means of developing your focus. You're not focusing on your breath. That is so important. Why? Because meditation is a means of developing your ability to focus on the reality of the here and now. That is what meditation is all about. Because once we do that, it brings us to the point that we talked about last week, that I'm present. I'm living my life, perhaps for the first time in my adult life. I'm living my life. I'm living my adult life to the full. I know where I am. I know what's going on. I know whether opportunities that are around me are synchronicities, in other words, opportunities for me, or not. And I know what I need to do to move myself forward in this here and now. Let me be even clearer in relation to that. I know just what I need to do to move myself forward. And that's all I need to do. I don't need to do anything more. I used the word enough a couple of minutes ago. I only need to do enough. This is easy. This is so easy. All you need to do is develop your ability through meditation to become present to the reality of your life and what's going on in it. But most importantly, to become so aware that you become self-aware as to who you really are. Or perhaps more to the point, what you really are. It was almost, or it might have sounded like a throwaway remark in last week's episode, where I talked about your vital energy and how it flows through the energy meridians in your body and how it interacts with universal energy. You are energy. You're not who you thought you were. You're not the various different misgivings that you were given about yourself when you were young and impressionable. You're not a whole heap of perceived inadequacies and perceived strengths you're something entirely different and as i said right at the end of last week's episode there's no merit in me saying that to you there's no merit in me quoting a load of science at you that actually confirms to you that that is what meditation will do for you you have to go and experience it for yourself and once experienced your life will be changed completely how would you experience it you experience it by sitting down, feet firmly on the floor, hands resting in your lap or on your legs, palms, I said palms, up or down, back straight, but shoulders slightly rounded, eyes closed, 
to allow yourself to slip into a place that we call reality. And reality, once experienced, is going to be the experience that changes your impression of yourself, your impression of your life, your impression of what is going on around you, and it's ultimately going to transform everything about you, your life. And indeed, it will rub off on the lives of those around you. Worth getting out of bed for in the morning. Worth spending seven or eight minutes every day, or, or almost every day. Because as I said a few minutes ago, if you get up one morning and something happens and you don't meditate, you don't get all flustered about it. You don't get all guilty about it. You meditate at the next available opportunity, but certainly you get up the following morning and get back on the horse. Because once we get on the horse, you'll gallop off on an adventure that your thinking mind could never even begin to imagine.